Well, we continue our series through John, and it, everything just seems to line up well this morning with our subject to Father's Day. You'll see on the screen in front of you that uh, our title is Jesus is His Father's Son. And we see that in stark contrast this morning in our scriptures. And as we begin our time together this morning, I would ask for your prayers during this time of preaching. Uh, this is a new experience for me to go through the Father's Day with, without a Heavenly Father. Uh, and uh, I don't say that to elicit any kind of sympathy or emotion other than just I'm asking my, my church family uh, for prayer during this time. And just as I am grateful for my earthly father that God gave me, as I'm sure you're grateful for yours, I'm also grateful for my heavenly father. And you can be grateful for your heavenly father, as, as Jody so aptly sang just a few moments ago, that he is a good, good father. And to be able to give that testimony after singing is proof that God is still working. And uh, I wanted to show you a few verses before we get in to John but just I want you to understand God is a good, good father. And here are just two of many verses I want to share with you. The first one is Psalm 68, 5. And if you're making notes, you can write that down. Or if you're following along in the Life Church Bible app, you can see it on the outline there. But I'll be reading from Homeland Christian Standard Bible because that's what's in the pews. And you feel free to, to read along with that. But Psalm... 68 and 5 says, God is in his holy dwelling as a father of the fatherless and a champion of widows. Folks, we are never alone. God is our good, good father, even from the days of the Old Testament where he led his people through the wilderness with a pillar of fire and a cloud. He leads us today and understand that God's main objective for you is the best for you. Maybe not what you want, but the best. Luke 11, verses 11 through 13 say this, that what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give? The Holy Spirit to those who ask him. One thing that every one of us have in common, just to the, the most minute point, is that all of us have a mommy and daddy. That's what it took to make us. And I also understand that, that many of you today, like myself, have fond memories of your father. Some of you are lucky enough to still enjoy times with your father, even this day. There are some, unfortunately, that uh, do not have fond memories of their father. But whatever your story or whatever your background is this morning, we can agree on the fact from what the Bible says and from what we know from our testimonies and from what we see in the world that God is our good, good father. We look to him as our model. We seek him for wisdom. We find strength and we find security in his arms of love. Folks, I am my father's son. You are your father's son or you are your father's daughter. And as we see today, Jesus is God's son. It is this truth that we explore this morning. Do you want to be a better father today, men? 
It begins with Jesus Christ. Do you want hope for your father? Child, do you want hope for your father? It begins in Jesus Christ. To know God is to know Jesus. And to know Jesus is to know God. Well, the first thing that we see in our scripture, starting with chapter 5, verse 16, is like father, like son. Like father, like son. Just like me, there will be times where I will say something and it is the same thing that used to come out of my father's mouth. You realize you're getting older when you start sounding like your mother and father. But we see here in verses 16 through 18, it says, Therefore the Jews began persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. We're talking about last week he healed a lame man on the Sabbath. But Jesus responded to them, My father is still working, and I am working also. This is why the Jews began trying all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father and making himself equal with God. You have to put yourself in the Jewish religious mindset of back then where when there was Sunday. Some of you used to remember these things called blue laws to where all you could do on Sunday is go to church and then go home. If you're kids, you go out and play. If you're an adult, you piddle around the house, take a long nap. And I mean, in, in some ways, I kind of wish we had those days back. But, but, you know, you just, you had that big blue law that said you can't do anything on a Sunday except go to church and spend time with family. And so to the religious leaders, they felt like from a legalistic standpoint, you cannot do anything on the Sabbath day. And so here was this guy named Jesus actually healing people. They got mad at the guy with the mat that was healed because he was carrying his mat on the Sabbath. So the Jewish leaders refused to see the connection between God and Jesus. They refused to see the connection between God the Son and God the Father. You see, there was this group called the Sanhedrin. They were religious uh, aficionados. They knew the the Ten Commandments and the the Old Testament law backwards and forwards. And uh, their job was to evaluate, to scrutinize, and to grade the preachers of the day. But here's, here's the rub in the whole situation. Humans are not God. They should not act like they are God. So to them, by Jesus healing on the Sabbath, Jesus was saying, I am God. So in their mind, Jesus was saying, you're worshiping the wrong God. I am God. That's why they were so outraged and they were so taken by what he was saying. And he also says, I am working also in that passage. In the minds of the religious, Jesus was making himself an equal to God, or even worse, a replacement. Because in their minds, they were going back to the serpent in Genesis 3-5, where the serpent says, don't you want to be like God? They heard this guy named Jesus saying that he was going to be like God. Because to the religious Jews, they felt like that, you know, you don't do anything on Sunday. God doesn't work on Sunday. He rests. So nobody else should try to say that they are God. Here's the thing, folks. Because of Genesis and because of the fall, why does God still have to work? Because of sin. Sin entered the world through the sin of Adam and Eve. And do not believe anyone that tells you that God 
spins the world in motion and just sits back and watches. God is at work 24-7. He did institute the Sabbath. He does honor those that come together and worship Him on a Sabbath recognition. God is working all the time, but the Jews were not allowed to see that. They couldn't see that. God is always at work, and that's what we take from this passage. But the reason He has to work is because sin broke that covenant. So, here's the thing. Our Heavenly Father, God, our Heavenly Father, is always at work. Not only for the salvation of those that are lost, but for the discipleship and the encouragement of those that know Him and need Him. Isn't it great to know that not one leaf falls to the ground that God does not orchestrate? Isn't it amazing to know that the hairs on your head are numbered? For some of you, that's not a big number, and that's okay. But for others, you couldn't even begin to guess. And I think mine's getting less and less as I get older, but, but the thing is, is that our Heavenly Father is always at work for our salvation. So earthly fathers, the mantle of the family altar falls in your lap. On the day of judgment, people are going to be looking to the fathers and saying, how did you pastor your family? As a former youth pastor, I cannot tell you the number of parents that thought it was my job to teach their children about God. And still, even as a pastor, it's not my job. God's not going to come up. When you, when you get to heaven and you're judged for how you raise your family, they're not going to say, who is your preacher? Oh, I, I understand now. But they're going to say, look, I sent him to encourage you. But folks, when it comes to children, we've got young fathers here. We've got older fathers here. We've got grandfathers here. We have some people that are yet to be fathers. But I'm telling you what, and we have some women that are having to do both mother and father role. I understand that. But understand that the responsibility for biblical teaching falls within your lap. And the good thing is you don't have to do it alone because you have a good Good father. Now imagine this scene. The, the religious leaders are kind of questioning Jesus. It would be much like a courtroom of public opinion today. So Jesus is put on the stand and he has to testify. So in this passage it goes from pretty much a, a dialogue about what's going on until Jesus starts to lay it down. And he lays it down hard and fast. Right here in the next few verses. He's, then Jesus replied... I assure you, in other words, check yourself before you wreck yourself, is what he's saying. He's saying, do do people even say that anymore? Or is that like 10 years ago? I'm not hip, I'm sorry, okay? They don't have that in the commentary, so I just shot from the hip, I lost, so I'll move on. Then Jesus said, I replied, I assure you, the son is not able to do anything on his own, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son does also these things in the same way. For the father loves the son and shows him everything he is doing. And he will show him greater works than these so that you will be amazed. And just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so the son, of God, so the son also gives life 
to anyone who wants it. The father, in fact, judges no one, but has given all judgment to the son so that all people will honor the son just as they honor the father. Anyone who does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent them. I love the fact that Jesus did not deny any of those accusations. Look in your scriptures and re-scan over that. Not one time did Jesus try to defend himself. Not one time did he try to weasel his way out of it. Not one time did he try to form a committee of people. Not one time did he try to get the call circles together. Not one time did he post it on the internet and try to get a feed going. Not, he did not tweet it. He stood right in the middle of it and said, I am my father's son. And these accusations that you have, you're right. I am my father's son. And I am God. Jesus did not deny the accusations. But here's the thing. Jesus was not replacing God. Jesus was sent by God. Jesus was not replacing God. Jesus was sent by God. And we see here that he was sent. Why was Jesus sent? To do the will of his Father. Jesus took a stand and he owned their claims. Now, throughout history, there have been many men that have claimed to be God. And here's just a few examples. Maybe you, you've heard of, of this guy. His name was James Jones. Jim, and they called him Jim. Jim was possibly the most notorious person that ever claimed to be God. He is responsible for the Jonestown Massacre that happened in Jonestown, Guyana in 1978 that claimed his life and 910 of his followers. He said he was God. He instructed all of his followers to drink Kool-Aid that was laced with poison and they all died. And you think, how in the world could people do that? But folks... People are wired for worship. People want to worship God, but they're, they're so quick to put something else in that space that God created for himself. Also, now this one is, is fairly recent. Alexandra Barnes, on April 24th, 2013, so not too long ago, uh, she lived in Daytona Beach, Florida. And she walked inside a gas station, went behind the counter, and grabbed a lighter. And as she ran out, another clerk ran after her and wrestled her to the ground because they saw that she had doused her entire car with gasoline. And so she ran in to get a lighter. She was trying to get to her car to set her car on fire that was contained two of her precious little dogs. I guess my blood boiling, folks. I'm going to go ahead and tell you. But yeah, she, she was going to try to burn the car, burn the dogs, and burn everything. And the thing was, as a witness jumped into action, and Barnes screamed that her babies were in the car, and the babies turned out to be her dogs, the witnesses pulled the dogs from the car and grabbed Barnes, check this out, who was sitting in oncoming traffic in the middle of I-92, claiming to be God. And you say, oh, that's a, that person's, you know, you think of, of the, the Jim Jones, and you think of this lady, and you think of all these other people that have claimed to be God, and you're thinking, there's no way, because, you know, we are, we are civilized people. We understand what's going on. But I want you to understand something. Put yourself <coughs> excuse me, in the Jewish mindset. They 
thought Jesus was one of these kooks. When they heard Jesus' claims, they put him in the same camp as these people. At the time he claimed to be God's son, the religious leaders thought the same of him. And before we throw the Jewish leaders under the bus, folks, that that stigma is still alive today. There are some that when you think about Jesus as God's son, some people are doubtful about it. Some are downright hateful about it. Some people are delusional. And then there are some people that say, well, this whole church thing and this whole Jesus thing was something that was fabricated by man to deal with their problems. There's a lot of people that discount Jesus as God's son. But Jesus does, we see here, only what his father shows him. So, fathers, that would be a lesson to us, is that our sons and our daughters will do what we show them. In verse 19, it says, God is the model for Jesus' actions. He says, I assure you, the son is not able to do anything on his own, but what he sees his father doing. Folks, there is purpose in every one of Jesus' actions, because there was purpose in every command that God gave to him. Now, I'll tell you what. You're going to church. You're late. You put the hammer down. And, so, and a cop pulls you over for putting the speed limit. You t- whatever you do, don't tell them you're on the way to church. If you do tell them you're on the way to church, give them another church name, all right? <laughs> and I use that for myself, too. So, sir, where do you pastor? No Hope Baptist Church. That's where I'm at. All right? But uh, the thing is, is that that cop, when they pull you over, they're only enforcing the laws that have been set. Everything that Jesus was doing, he was carrying out what his father had given to him. Father, model Jesus to your families. I tell people all the time that children are like, some of you are too young to remember this, but there are things called VCRs. I guess today you call them iPhones. I mean, you think of those of you that have have technology, whether camera, iPhones, VCRs, children are like a little iPhone camera. All the way up until about sixth grade, it's on record. And then once they hit sixth grade, sorry, Jody, it's all playback. And you're going to look at that kid and say, where'd they get acting like that? And then your spouse will say, look in the mirror. You know, but no, it's, it's the truth is that we raise our kids until eventually they take on what we have modeled. Just as God did that with his son, Jesus. So we do it with our children as well. We find purpose in our lives when we yield to God's command for our life. What is God's command? Love God, love others, go and make disciples. The second thing that we see in verse 20, God loves his son, Jesus Christ. I don't think we say that enough. God loves his son, Jesus Christ. It says, verse 20, For the father loves the son and shows him everything that he is doing, and he will show him greater works than these. Then you will be amazed. I want you to understand something. God loves you. If you haven't heard anybody tell you that today, God loves you. But I want you to understand something. God loved his son and loves his son too. I think sometimes for those of us that have been in church for more than 10 plus years, 
We, we kind of get this dichotomy of, okay, now he's talking about Jesus and he's talking about the cross and he's talking about how he died for my sins. I'm saved, so let's move on and get to the meat of something. But folks, this is the meat. God loved his son more than anything else in the world. And to make light of God's love for his son is to make light of the debt that he paid for your sin. I know many of you in here have children and grandchildren, people that you love. Would you think about sacrificing your child for the benefit of someone that doesn't even appreciate it? No way. And when you think about there's no way that I could do that, understand that God said, I know you can't. That's why I did it. He had to watch his son go through turmoil. He had to watch his son obey him and carry out orders that he knew would hurt him. Which I can only imagine would have hurt God himself. But folks, never lose sight of the fact of God's love for his son because it is that love that offers you salvation through the sacrifice of his blood. Verse 21, Jesus' work was dependent upon his father's example. It says, Just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so the Son also gives life to anyone He wants to. Gives life. Please don't just write this off as top ten things that a preacher says. But really own this. From the moment you go back to Genesis chapter 2. Verse 7. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7 says, Then the Lord formed out of dust from the ground and breathed breath into his nostrils, breathing life into his nostrils. And the man became a living being. The reason we ache and the reason that we hurt is because that life that was breathed into Adam that has been passed down from person to person, from generation to generation, one day that breath, that life is taken away. That's why we hurt. And what we see here is in Genesis 2-7 that God breathed life into us and that Jesus has the power over life and death. Folks, our sins make us spiritually dead. For those that do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord, they are an orphan. I was talking with somebody the, the other day. Uh, there's great, I'm grateful that in this system... In Anderson, there's a lot of people that will, will offer you opportunities for grief sessions and stuff like that. And, and there's a thing to where when only, child, only children are left behind, they feel like orphans. And, and I'm working through that. I understand that because, you know, it's like I told Don and I've told other people, when your father and mother are gone, and some of you have, have been through this, you just feel like the safety net's gone. And there's nothing Folks, that was my life before I met Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord. I had nothing spiritually. My life 
was lost. I was trying to pilot this world on my own. And I drove it into the ditch every single time. And so we see that when we are dead in our sins, we are separated from God. But in the Old Testament, one's life was was represented by blood sacrifices. That's why there were so many animal sacrifices in the Old Testament. That's why Jesus had to shed his blood for your sin and for mine, because God equated life with blood. Even today, we have blood mobiles that are begging people to give blood because your blood can give someone else life. There is life in the blood, literally, but also spiritually as well. By Jesus giving his blood, it gives him power for the resurrection. And the next thing we see is in verse 22, the Father has given Jesus the authority to judge. The Father, in fact, judges no one but, no one but has given all judgment to the Son. He says we honor Jesus and we honor God. Fathers honor God in the way you live your life. Because I promise you this, if you honor God in the way that you live your life, it's not guaranteed, but the chances are highly likely that your children will as well. Teach your children to honor God, and they will honor you. Thomas Carlyle put it this way. He said, show me a man you honor, and I will show you what kind of man you are. As we look at verses 24 through 30, we see that God gave Jesus the keys to life and death. God gave Jesus the keys to life and death. It says in verse 24, I assure you, anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not come under judgment, but has passed from death to life. What we see here is Jesus is the life giver and he gives life to those who believe. Folks, if you buy all that money can buy, For you and those you love. I I see parents and I've seen parents. I want to give my children everything that I never had. And there's nothing wrong with that sentiment until you look at what we've got now. We've got a generation of adults that were given everything that they ever needed that they didn't deserve, that they didn't work for. And now they expect the real world to act that way. But it doesn't matter how much you own, how much you give. No matter how many memories you have, if you do not have Jesus as the center of what you pass on to your family and to your children, everything else will burn, rot, or fade away. Only what is done for Jesus Christ will remain. I've never been to a funeral and said, man, he's gone, but he sure did leave behind a nice boat. Man, he's gone, but did you see the size of his bank account? Or, man, he's gone, but but what about all those children that he had? You know, those are things that people talk about, but they don't go with him. They don't go with her. Folks, what we do with Jesus is what matters. And he's telling us here that uh, 
If you buy all that money can buy for those you love without Jesus, it will burn, rot, rust, and fade away. And I thank God every day for a father that made sure that I was in the best place possible for God to work in my life. And I am here due in part today because of the sacrifices my earthly father made to get me closer to my heavenly father. You see, my earthly father gave me a great life to which I will cherish forever. But the greatest gift he gave was being an example of my heavenly father. And one day, I get to see them both. It's a win-win situation. If you do not know Jesus Christ, as your Savior and Lord today, I beg and plead with you to make that decision for you, for your children, for your families. What life are you giving to those you love? Is it earthly possessions or is it a heavenly one or both? Well, in verse 25 we see, he says, I assure you, an hour is coming. And I get excited about this. An hour is coming, and now is here, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For just as the Father has life in himself, so also he has granted to the Son to have life himself. And he has granted him the right to pass judgment, because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this, because a time is coming When all who are in the grave will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good things to the resurrection of life. But those who have done wicked things to the resurrection of judgment. Understand what he said here. A time is coming. Believers will be reunited with their earthly fathers, with their heavenly fathers. Non-believers, it stings a little bit, but you will never see your loved ones again. You will never know the love of a heavenly father. You will have worshipped someone that has tricked and lied and taken everything away from you to the point to where you have nothing. And when you have nothing and are, are sent to a place of eternal separation, well, just laugh and say, there goes another one. That's what you have in store if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. Verse 30 says, I can do nothing on my own. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is righteous, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. Again, to the religious, Jesus was not replacing God. He was sent by Him. So in conclusion, I would say to know Jesus is to know God. If you learn anything today from the religious that are in this passage today, from those that saw the Son of God but didn't see Him, they saw the true living God, the incarnation, the the God with skin in front of them. And yet all they could do is sit back and criticize. The religious leaders could not see the work Jesus was doing from God Because they did not know God the Father themselves. These Jews have been raised to worship a religion. Man-made works. Platitudes. Clichés. And not God himself. Jesus came to this earth to fulfill the love and wishes of God. 
his heavenly Father. Life, death, judgment, and mercy flow through Jesus Christ. If you're an earthly father here today, you can learn from Jesus' claims of his Father in this passage. So I implore to you, earthly fathers, or those that are playing the fatherly role, or those that have people that, that you influence, children you influence, earthly fathers do with your children as God, our Heavenly Father, did with His Son. Model, equip, love, and send. That's what Jesus has shown His testimony of what God has done for Him, and I believe it gives a great model for us today. Model God before our children. Equip them to know the Lord. Love them and send them out to reach others. That's what God did for his son Jesus. Jesus is, was and is and will always be his father's son. And my prayer is that God would be your heavenly father as well. Let's pray. God, I thank you for our passage today. And it is my prayer that if there is not one father, mother, doesn't matter, Lord, one person here today that does not know you as their Savior and Lord, Jesus, would you please come into their life? If you're not sure whether you're a Christian or not, just pray this prayer. Say, God, I'm unsure of my salvation. I want you to forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. Forgive me. Change me. And help me to follow you, Lord. If you prayed that prayer in a minute for the first time, or maybe for the second or third time, I don't know, but if you've prayed that prayer and God's working in your life, I pray that you talk to me or someone that can help you understand what that commitment means. But by praying that prayer, you can be saved. The Holy Spirit is here and can do that. But if you'd like to come forward and and testify to what the good, good Father has done in your life today, whether accepting Christ, whether you may want to join this church or just have prayer at the altars, whatever it may be, when we have our invitation, would you not wait but respond? Because there will be a lot of people here that will be cheering you on. God, thank you for your work. And I pray for your movement, Lord, for it's in your name we pray. Amen.